Like the quote says, we may travel to go in search of a great perhaps. But when we come back, we want to remember all the details. So we take photos. Photos are an important part of capturing your experience wherever you go. Our trip service puts you in touch with local experts so that you can plan and book a trip tailored to whatever you want to capture. Head to roughguides.com to find out more. My name is Amy and I'm a nostalgic traveller. I scroll through countless photos that I take on my lowly smartphone. But the photos that I reminisce over aren't the big sights, but of the people and places I encounter along the way. From a Portuguese couple hanging out of a train in Sri Lanka, to visitors posing in radioactive Chernobyl, we certainly have a tendency to go out of our way for the sake of social media. But this can come at the expense of something or someone else. If a single photograph has the power to shape a narrative, what story should we tell? I got in contact with someone who might be able to help. I'm Lola Kimade Orchestrom. I'm a Stockholm-based writer, photographer and author. And I've been living here for 10 years now, doing this full time. And how I got into photography was actually kind of by mistake. So I used to be an oil painter. And when I traveled, I took photos so that I could come back and create paintings from the photos. And then after a while, I realized, you know what, I think I'm duplicating effort. <laughs> I think the photos are, could stand on their own. And so I started kind of exploring photography as a medium of expression. I love exploring culture through food, tradition, lifestyle. I love uh, taking pictures of people, environmental portraits, especially doing what they love, creating things with their hands, things they're passionate about. And so that's kind of what frames my work as a travel photographer. But um, as a traveler, um, as, as cliche as it sounds, I always travel with an open mind because I I never take anything at face value and I always give people benefit of doubt because sometimes you don't know if somebody has been having a crap day and then their emotions just spill over to you or you know what's going on so I always try to be a bit objective when something happens to me and then I try to process it and say okay is this person being truly racist or is it are they being really dismissive or patronizing or condescending and then I try to um, isolate that so that that doesn't ruin my travel experience because it's also a cultural exchange. What Lola had to say really made me think about who we choose to take photographs of and the position the photographer inhabits in relation to their subject. As you can hear, the line wasn't great. And as Lola says, travel is an opportunity for cultural exchange and so my producer Femi and I made the trip to Stockholm to visit Lola and find out more. We took a trip to the Sudamalm district where we sat with Lola overlooking Stockholm's archipelago. So can you tell us a bit about yourself and how did you come to live in Sweden? I was born in Nigeria and uh, moved from, my, from Nigeria when I was 15 to the US to go to school, to college. And I lived in the US uh, 16 years, worked as a programmer actually, <laughs> before moving to Sweden 10 years ago. 
and since moving to Sweden I switched to becoming a full-time writer, photographer and author and since then I've worked with many different publications and um, you know contribute to many high profile magazines as well so it's been a and Stockholm is one of the most beautiful cities in the world so it's a great place to to call home as well as my base so what we are looking at right now is one of the most beautiful lookout point in Stockholm we're just sitting above Montilios Vägen which is a road that kind of wraps around uh, the northern edge of Södermalm and from where we are we are looking straight at the island of Riddaholmen I was wondering if you could tell me what makes a responsible photographer. As a photographer that loves photographing people, you know, environmental portraits of people, I, I take the time to listen and properly acknowledge people because when you sneak shots of people, to me it feels very disrespectful, like you're already objectifying the person for your own means. But I always say as a photographer, if you go up to somebody and ask for their photo, it no longer becomes about you and what you want, but rather what the person is willing to give you of themselves. And so as a responsible photographer, especially if you're going to be photographing people, number one, acknowledge them, get their names, and then listen, listen to their stories, and then they will give you what they want to give you. So why do we need to provide context for our photographs? Context is important because it's very easy to frame somebody else's narrative, right? And I'll give you an example. Um, in Nigeria, each time I go back home, there is a security guard and he's well into his 70s now. And each time I take a photo of him, I always show him in his old uniform because he's proud to be a, a security guard. But when you look at him, he's clearly a very, very old man. You know, you've got the lines of wisdom and age on his face. So as a photographer, it will be easy for me to maybe just zoom into his face, maybe turn the photo into black and white, sharpen you know, those lines, so it, be, so it becomes an objectified portrait. Or I can actually show him as a strong, able security guard in his uniform. Context is very important because the minute somebody allows you to take their photo, they want, they're showing you what they want to be shown to the world. And it's not what you want to create to show to the world. So that's why it's very important. Otherwise, you start framing somebody else's narrative for them. I asked Lola to describe one of her favorite photos from her work. So one of my favorite photos was taken in the Seychelles and I was six months pregnant at the time and on assignment and I had gone out very early in the morning with fishermen, kind of out uh, deep sea and we were pulling up fishing traps, you know, and the guys called Jerry and Leopold. Um, so we went out and uh, Jerry pulls up this kind of wooden trap filled with and it wasn't that much fish in it just a bunch of fish but once he pulled it out it turned to me with the look that I captured and that look was one of just profound joy not only that he had caught fish but that there was something about being a fisherman that was passionate that he, he had a, that was his passion you know these were guys that go wake up 4 a.m. you know or go out the night before leave their traps come out very early to pull them up but that shot why I really love that shot was the connection when Jerry looked back at me with joy this was a grown man and the look on his face was of a kid that like found his first Christmas present like oh my god you know people that work with their hands tend to be very patient 
and especially when I think of artists or artisans that kind of pour their love into creating something. Um, I think it, it, it connects with me because I used to be an oil painter, I used to be an artist, so I, I understand spending time creating something you love. Maybe others wouldn't love it, but there's, there's a passion in it. So in that sense, I think that's probably why. It's almost like a link to my past life. So that's why maybe I'm just naturally drawn to people that create things with their hands. But um, it also speaks a lot that in a world that just rushes <laughs> every day and it's fast, that these are people just taking time to stop and create and get into that bubble where your creativity comes true without distraction. So I think those kinds of settings draw me because for me it also helps it feels like foil, like I'm plugging back into a creative source, you know, back into um, reaching back to being creative. Pause, take a breath, think, and then create. Once when I was traveling in Guilin, China, I met a woman from the Yao minority tribe. The women here pinprick the layers of green rice fields in their bright pink tops, which are embroidered with unique, intricate designs. As I continued along the route, I noticed others sneaking photos of them from afar. They weren't aware the photos were being taken, which made me feel uncomfortable. It was as if they were simply seen as part of the scenery and not as people in their own right. It was then I realised the importance of being respectful with a camera lens, or that there could even be a way to be an irresponsible photographer. Do you have any tips or advice you could share on being a responsible photographer? I think the very first thing is acknowledgement. You know, people are always nervous saying, oh, I don't want to walk up to a stranger, you know, I'm scared. But the reason why we are scared is because Usually it's our ego in the way. We know they could easily reject us, which brings shame. And then when they reject us, it's usually done in front of other people, <laughs> which makes it embarrassing, you know? And so if we can just put that aside and realize, you know what, the minute I'm walking up to them, I have to be 100% vulnerable. Um, that changes the dynamic. And people feel that because it changes your disposition as well. You come in humble, you come in respectful, you come in with the intention of getting to know them, acknowledging them properly and respecting them. Human beings were instinctive, so we naturally respond to that. So I would say, you know, that's one thing people should do is kind of switch your mindset and then go in with acknowledgement and respect. Do you think it's ever okay to take a photo of someone without their permission? It depends. And for example, street photography, that's pretty much what it is, you know. I think if the person is part of the entire scene and like if you're, for example, looking for the way light moves through a scene or, or, or somebody's walking through a natural spotlight, I think it's fine. But if the person is the sole focus of the photo and then you're sneaking their shot, that's a problem. So I think the person has to be part of more of the environmental kind of scene you see. I think that's fine, but um, you know, ideally, if you can ask them, that's great, and then you can come back, and they'll probably let you just hang around them, and you can take more photos. So, how do you practice responsible photography when you travel? 
So if you see my work, my photography, you can see my hand as an oil painter in the way I edit them. So it's very vivid with a lot of contrast and a lot of dark. It's very heavy handed in the editing in terms of making, bringing out all the dark blacks, you know, and increasing a lot of contrast. That's my visual voice as a photographer. So when you see my photos together, you can say it's the same person that took all this whether it's a person I'm photographing, or it's a landscape, or it's an animal, you can see the visual voice of the photographer. And that's also one thing I always say that for photographers is best, instead of seeking technical perfection, look for creativity instead. Because what I see is I see a lot of technically perfect landscape shots, but I have no idea who the photographer is because it's just technically perfect but there's no creativity in terms of it's just I set up the tripod, I set up all the settings and it's perfect. But I would rather see a fuzzy kind of almost, um, you know, photo that may not, may not be technically perfect but I can see the photographer's style in it because that's what you remember. Oh, you know, that's this person's photo. Oh, I think this is this person's photography because I recognize their style, not because of the technical perfection. So I think that's what photography has brought into my life, is that privilege to use it to explore my creativity. I was interested in this idea of photographs having visual voices. Your own take on a photo shows the impact that a place or a person has on you. And you can also tell a whole story in one shot. Steve McCurry's world-famous Afghan girl photograph featured in National Geographic in 1985. Steve met her, Shahbat Gula, when he was visiting refugee camps in the mid-80s and stumbled across an English class. There were so many elements he could have focused on, but without misrepresenting the context, he lets her tell her own story. I got in contact with Hoda Afshar, who's an artist, documentary filmmaker and photographer, whose portraits seek to counter preconceived narratives surrounding the subjects of her images. Uh, my name is Hoda Afshar and I'm an artist and educator. I was born and raised in Tehran, Iran, and I left, um, it was in 1983 that I was born, and I left Iran in 2007 and I moved to Australia um, like that that's what I'm talking about in terms of the power that images have and the role that they played in manipulating histories basically and that's when I realized that when I moved to Australia I realized that there's an image of me that exists in the mind of the society that doesn't belong to me but they really convinced that that image is me and it's the image of a veiled suppressed woman it's like and that image is often like assumed like an empty shell that veil represents an empty shell because the woman inside it is assumed to be void of autonomy and agency so in the mind of the western sort of audience it's always like um, they see it they inject everything that they know of that person inside that empty shell and they create this confusing image that when they reflect it back at you as the image of you it really shocks you if you're standing in my position so I was really confused where that image comes from I wanted to understand why it exists 
who created it and who benefits from that image and getting to understand this entire history of orientalism and like uh, how sort of like that image of the oriental shifted basically throughout the history up until September 11 that that image of the veiled woman which used to be the exotic beauty behind it has turned into this symbol that represents backwardness of the Islamic societies and the identity of the woman behind the veil turned into this dangerous terrorist. And what we are faced with is this confusion in the mind of the society between the image of the... It's a combination of the exotic terrorist, basically, <laughs> you know, um, very sort of like sensual exotic image combined with that dangerous um, Islamophobic image. When I researched that history, I just like went through it one by one, and I realized that that's where it's coming from, the image that I am struggling with, and I have to constantly defend myself against. It's all should be blamed on images, and the sort of like impact that images can have on shaping our understanding of the world. That was the beginning point for me to think about how to challenge and dismantle uh, images through creating new photographs, images that can actually counter those narratives because nothing else can leave that impact on the viewer the way that images can. But saying that, I don't believe that my practice can only do it by itself because when you think about the history of these images, it has taken centuries and centuries of production of these imagery and like writing and so on to build up this image. For us to dismantle that probably, it won't take the same amount of time because of the accessibility of images now and information, but it does take a lot of effort. when someone takes a photo of you without your permission? <laughs> well, if they are sneaking the shot, I tend to turn away, you know, but if they actually come up, and I'm actually very open because I need to be able to be open when that's what I want from others, right? Um, good example was in Uzbekistan when I was there recently. I think I took the most number of selfies with locals in my entire life. And it's because many of them I didn't seen a black woman before. But they also came up and I knew it was from curiosity. And I also felt a responsibility that if I'm the first and last black person they're gonna meet, well, I want it to be a good experience for them because the world has framed our narrative long enough. You know? so, so, it, so it really depends you know, on the context and, and how the person approaches me as well. There are many cultures around the world that shun the camera perhaps because they think it's capturing the soul or just encroaching upon their privacy. When visiting rural towns in remote areas, I've had my photograph taken, either walking down the street, on the bus, or simply at the supermarket. It was off-putting because they didn't know me and now they had an image from a part of my life. No matter how innocent the intention, it felt like an invasion of privacy and I wondered how it would be interpreted. The more I travel, and it is important, the more I travel as a black woman, 
it's a it's a two-way street. It's also a cultural exchange. I also felt a responsibility of, you know what, if I'm the first and last black person they see, I want to make sure that the experience is good. So it's a burden that I, I wish I didn't have to bear, but society has kind of placed on my shoulders. In having our photo taken, we leave ourselves exposed and vulnerable in the photographer's hands. And, as Lola has mentioned, to the narrative the photographer chooses to portray. I think that, having spoken with Lola and Hoda, I feel better equipped to go into the world and use my camera responsibly. Photography presents us with the opportunity to celebrate and share cultures from around the world. We can peer into other people's realities and understand and empathise with situations different to our own. Planning to take your own trip to add to your holiday album? Rough Guide's local experts can help you plan and book your own bespoke adventure. This episode was hosted by me, Amy White, and produced by Femi Oriogan-Williams for Reduced Listening. In the next episode, we're sticking around in Stockholm to find out about the traditional art of cow singing. If you can't wait till then, check out the Insight Guide's travel podcast, 